And uh, our title of our uh, message this morning is You Are Not Your Own. And that's found at the, uh, the end of the section that we're going to be dealing with. We are bought with a price and we're to glorify God. And of course, before that, it's talking about you are not your own. You don't own yourself. And uh, that's quite a statement considering the time that we live in. You know, years ago there was a, a writer by the name of John Steinbeck. This is uh, many decades ago. And he wrote a letter to uh, an Adlai Stevenson who had actually ran for president at one time many decades ago. Many decades ago. Catch that. And his letter had this in it. There is a creeping, all-pervading gas of immorality which starts in the nursery and does not stop until it reaches the highest offices, both corporate and governmental. (laughs) He was talking many decades ago, even before our time, and saying that it was uh, immorality that uh, starts way early and goes all the way up into the biggest ranks. And that's kind of where we're at in 1 Corinthians 6 as we keep moving on. We live in a, uh, a world that is absolutely obsessed by sexuality. Would you agree with that? I mean, it seems like everything that you see on TV has something to do with it. They exploit sexuality in a way that's just mind-boggling when you, when you understand that they're trying to do sales by sexual issues. Selling a hamburger. Sexual issues. You've got to be kidding me. And all the way to cars. It doesn't matter what they're selling. They have to have some kind of sexual issues behind it. It's incredible. Here's, here's the time that we live in. And of course, you constantly hear about pornography. Uh, pornography is found what, in television and movies, uh, the books, the movies, uh, the billboards, internet especially. I mean, it's everywhere. So we live in a sex-crazed world dominated by that. In, the world is infatuated with the physical, with the whole sensual aspect, the whole idea of, of, of the body. And we're just bombarded from every direction, every day, with this absolute filth that's coming at our minds and our emotions. And uh, sometimes our will succumbs to that. But it, it seems almost impossible to feel uncontaminated. Do you feel dirty sometimes, even when you haven't even thought anything, done anything, and there it is before your eyes? I mean, we don't want to become so hardened to it that it doesn't phase us, do we? Um, even when you, when you don't sin with it, it's still yet it's quite a pollution, an infestation. And it seems like we're at the worst depravity that man could ever display. The only reason we can say that is because we have technology today that makes it more accessible and more visible than ever. The only thing is the heart of mankind has always been the same way, hasn't it? So it really hasn't changed. We just are able to see it more. But then you can look back in the pagan society and look in the Corinthian letter, which we have been for a few months now, and we have seen that uh, these Christians at Corinth were definitely dominated by some of the things of the world and they were bringing that into the church. We have the same thing happening here. And, you know, there's, there's been a curse and that curse is, uh, of course, sin. You go back to Adam and Eve, of course. But the, the curse of our culture is that physical pleasures are desired more than spiritual joy. And that's really where we find really our joy. It is in Christ and Christ alone. Now, He gives us things. The only thing is that man distorts it and makes it something that it really is not, makes it look better than what uh, they think it is, and people are destroyed by it. So how did the Christians in Corinth 2,000 years ago, who are very much like us, this is not an outdated letter at all, is it? As we have been proceeding through Corinth. How do they deal with this? This is a dilemma. It's right before them. It's in our times. How do they react to this immoral cesspool that was all around them? What do they do with it? Well, think of the Greeks. Okay, you remember. Corinth, Greeks, philosophy, right? How did they used to view it before they became Christians and even still were actually still viewing some things of the world as part of the, the life. Well, it was the body. How did they view the body? Well, in Gnosticism, we know that one thing that they took in, which came out of the Greek uh, culture, 
and uh, that kind of religion, which phased into the Christian body later on in the, as it moved into the, the next century, how did that make a play on the people even beforehand, even before there was Gnosticism? Well, the body was taken as flesh, and the flesh is not spirit, so therefore the flesh is it's not immoral, it's not moral, it's amoral. It means it has no morals, it's, it's really n- nothing. And later on in, in their religious thought, they took um, this view of the body, said, well, it's physical, all physical things really have nothing to do with this, so therefore, since it is not spiritual, you can do anything you want with your body. Or you go to the other extreme and you get into legalism, asceticism, really, which means uh, you cut yourself or you do everything that you can to try to destroy the flesh. And we know Christian-wise, the body is given by the Lord. It is an instrument, an instrument of righteousness, right? So it's a good thing. It can be a good thing if we use it right, just like any, anything else. We, we use instruments uh, to make them glorify God. Well, the way that they viewed it, though, was that, hey, it's physical, it doesn't matter, it's not spiritual, you can do whatever you want. Now, if you have that view, and remember the philosophy that they prided themselves in, we've talked about so many weeks, right? Okay, with that view, they're Christians, guess what they still view the body as? Something that is amoral, it doesn't really matter. Some people were still struggling with the sexual issues. And I think everybody does in, in some way or manner. But they indulge their bodies into hedonism. Uh, the body's going to be destroyed anyway. So, hey, you know, enjoy. Um, do what you feel like would be their motto. Whatever. And that sounds interesting, doesn't it? I think I remember that. Whatever feels good, do it. Uh, Whatever has been around is going to come back around, right? Matter of fact, I don't think it ever goes away. <laughs> I think it's always with us. But anyway, they handed their bodies to every conceivable lust you can think of, and they would live their life with a love of pleasure. That's the, uh, the idea of the normal Corinthian. If you were a Corinthian before Christ, that's the way that you lived your lives. That's, that's what it was about. So they were rationalizing their sinful behavior by saying, hey, sex is just a biological function. It's just like eating. And we'll see that in the Scripture in a moment when we read through this. They needed to satisfy their appetites. So you just satisfy it. You do with whatever you want to do. Uh, This word was known as to Corinthianize. And they were so famous for that idea of Corinthianizing, it was all over the world. And people would say, oh, they're into Corinthianizing. And they could be hundreds of miles away. But they knew what it was to Corinthianize. Uh, meant they had sexual relations with prostitutes. Even temple prostitutes, that's where it really was at. Many of those people were temple prostitutes who now are Christians, or could possibly have been. So you think of that culture there. Uh, it has to be hard to give up the philosophies. Paul has addressed that. He's had it many chapters, right? It has to be hard to give that up because that was your lifestyle. That was your thinking. When you become a Christian, though, you start to think differently. And we know in Romans 12, 1 and 2, it talks about giving up ourselves as living sacrifices and then renewing our mind daily. Renew our mind through the Word of God, right? A little plug in there for, what, R.C. Sproul, renewing your mind. But it had been hard for them to give up the philosophies. How about the divisions? Remember the divisions and the schisms and the fisms that they had in their church? All of those? Um, because there were factions. And some were saying, oh, Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas, I'm of Jesus. They were having little different denominations going on there. And they were taking pride in that, just like they were taking pride in the philosophers they were behind. They were suing people. And that's what we saw in uh, the first half of this chapter last week. They were taking their own people in church and taking them to court. And we see that Paul says, hey, listen, don't you know that we're going to be ruling in the kingdom? We're going to be judging angels? And here you are taking your dirty laundry and advertising it all over the world to let them see your dirty laundry? So, after all that... And now he has to address address this issue of sexual immorality. 
So throughout our studies of Corinthians, we've seen everything filter right into the church. The church is suffering because of the worldly attitudes that have come into the church. It's a part of Christians' lives. This letter was actually written to Corinthians. Was everybody in the Corinthian church a Christian? Probably not. There are wheat and tares. We know there are people that appear to be believers and they're really not. But most of them, he's writing to Christians here. So some of the things they were doing is, is incredible. But you can't live that lifestyle. He's already stated in uh, uh, verse 9 through 11. Don't you know you'll not inherit the kingdom of God if you practice these things? And he said, fornicators, idolaters, adulterers, homosexuals, sodomites and such. If you practice those things, that'll show you're not really a Christian. You have not been converted. So he's there to correct their sin. And there is liberty to be found, but the liberty is in the purity. The liberty in Christ is incredible, isn't it? We are set free to serve Christ. But we're not to give over our bodies for anything, whether it be passion, lust, appetites, food, whatever. But we're to give our bodies to the Lord. So the goal is, by the time we get done with this today, with an introduction like that, you'd think we'd stay here till 2 or 3 o'clock in the afternoon. <laughs> Some of you are worrying, oh no. We don't want to be slaves, right? We don't want to be slaves of physical pleasure. And so we want to put that in our thoughts today. We don't want to be slaves to anything. And I'm not talking just immorality. I'm just talking about anything in general. You know, the battle is on constantly. We battle sin every day, every one of us. And we do not want to be slaves of the things that become not only temptations, but sin. So we look at Christ, and we look at the power of the Holy Spirit, Whenever those temptations come and that battle begins, look at Him and we'll be free from the desires that the body wants to do. And whatever that is. Today it's talking about the sexual issues and probably none of us are really dealing with that. Uh, you know, or, or I don't know. I don't know where we're at. But at the same time, this is for anybody at any time. We need to have this in our minds and recognize we, we're still under a barrage of it uh, coming at us constantly. Uh, let's take verse 12. And uh, in honor of God's Word, let's all stand. Turn to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 12. And then be going through verse 20. All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any. Foods for the stomach and the stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord, and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise up by His power. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Certainly not. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? For the two, he says, shall become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. Flee sexual immorality. Every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? For you were bought at a price. Therefore glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. Father, we thank You for Your Word, Your Spirit. May we be able to bring this to our own lives, whatever sin that we struggle with, and we do. We pray that we'll draw upon Christ and the beauty of Him and the very power of Your Spirit to be able to live that kind of life, for we know we can't do it within our own selves. It's You that we always look at. In your son's name. Amen. Alright. Thank you guys for paying attention so much. God's Word is very key and instructive to our lives. Isn't it? And we uh, look at verse 12. And I think of verse 19 and 20 and I think that's really where I'd really like to focus all this on. But to get there, we have to look at what's happening. He says, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. Uh, when you're a Christian... You are set free from the bondage of sin and death and Satan. You are free to serve Christ. We have Christian liberties. And so he tells the Corinthians, hey, listen, okay, you are free. You have liberties. But you have to remember, you're coming from a liberated society. 
And they did whatever they wanted to do, right? And we recognize that in our society. Uh, it's true that all our sins are given, right? They have been cast away as far as the east from the west and will never be judged by our sins again based upon the fact of what Christ has done, what, what He did at the cross. We are forgiven and set free, but we don't take advantage of that, do we? In the sense that we can just do whatever our flesh wants to do. No sin at any time is profitable. He says in um, verse 12, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful or profitable. Helpful, profitable, not all things are really good. Uh, In this context, sexual sin is really costly. Uh, Any kind of sin can be costly. In this sense, the price is very high. It's very unprofitable. Go back to Proverbs, and in chapter 5, verse 3 through 6, a good bit of wisdom here is given by their writer. Solomon says this, For the lips of an immoral woman drip honey, and her mouth is smoother than oil. But in the end she is bitter as wormwood, sharp as a two-edged sword. Her feet go down to death. Her steps lay hold of hell. Lest you ponder her path of life, her ways are unstable. You do not know them. That is graphic. And here we're talking about the lips drip honey and smoother than oil. Very seductive. But in the end, she's bitter as wormwood. And uh, this path of life is a terrible way to go. Not only death, but he mentions uh, her steps lay hold of hell. Sounds like Jonathan Edwards. Well, Jonathan Edwards sounds like Scripture is what it is, right? Uh, Sinners in the hands of an angry God. Well, that could take out of that one. Uh, While you're in Proverbs, turn to chapter 9, verse 17 and 18. It says, Stolen water is sweet, and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of hell. That is how serious God takes this. It's very unprofitable. What's the consequences? It's obvious. What does sexual sin do today? Well, it breaks up marriages, whole families. It shatters the home, right? It causes all sorts of heartache and destroys more lives than alcohol and drugs. That is why he's saying it's not profitable. It's not helpful. Uh, It can cause lying. It can cause cheating. It can cause stealing. It can cause killing. And I know every one of us in here have had all sorts of, some of us, very terrible backgrounds of family. And I know some of you are probably saying, hey, listen, you're picking on me. Well, the thing is, if you guys know each other in here, and a lot of you don't exactly know all the backgrounds of each one, as, as time goes on, you'll, you'll learn that each one of us have had really terrible struggles. And almost every one of us have had uh, troubles with um, um, partners. And, and I say this because we're going into chapter 7 and say, Dennis, uh, why are you doing this? Because almost everybody in here has had um um, marriages that failed. And you might think, well, I thought that was me. I thought I was the only one. No. Uh, you look across the room, everybody has struggled with that. The times that we live in, you go out anywhere and you're going to find that. Have you thought about that? I mean, that is how loose things have become. We, we have a hard time getting along with each other. So I'm not here to drill each one because of that. I'm just saying, hey, listen, there's hope here. You know, and, and if you've gotten past that, then move on. I'm not trying to go back and dig up sin of your past and make you feel guilty. That's not my idea. But we have to realize, hey, we're addressing a society out here that, that thinks, hey, listen, if it doesn't work out, I'll try another one. That doesn't work out, I'll try another one, then another one, then another one. And that's, of course, Corinthians 7 is going to do that. I know a lot of you say, well, I know what that one's about. I'm going to skip the next few weeks here. <laughs> But it, it is very relevant. I mean, it's speaking right to today, even though that was in Corinth and it's uh, addressing some of these same issues. But we know what um, uh, sexual sin does, though. I'm not saying everybody in here has had sexual sins, but we know that it destroys so many people. And um, it's, a, it's a terrible thing. Um, some people like food. Well, it's okay. 
I hope that everybody likes food. I'm sure some like it more than others. And, uh, and that's, that's not a crime. But it is a crime when we indulge in anything and make that now a replacement for the pleasure of who God is and Jesus Christ ruling in our lives. Whatever we take, um, everybody enjoys a big chunk of steak. Or whatever, and Zach put up his head and goes, yeah. <laughs> On the grill... Did we get that gas for the gas for the grill? <laughs> but you know what? We can overuse anything, anything, even though it, that is good. So Paul is saying, "All things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. All things are lawful for me, but I will not be brought under the power of any." That's what verse twelve is out. Um, they took the law of liberty and turned it into license for sin. Um, there is no sin of, of sex in marriage. That is what God intended. And it's a good thing. It's a beautiful thing. It's what Lord, the Lord gave us. But outside, we know now, it, that's a license to sin. So that's what was happening. So they're not to be controlled. I will not be brought under the power of any. And if, you know, if it's not sexual sin that you're having to deal with, then it can think of any sin that you battle with here. You know, this is something that we can bring right into our own context. Refuse to let sin master you. You know, to lord it over you. Um, Paul said, I don't want to become enslaved to anything but Christ. Right? I don't want anything to come around and dominate me. Um, matter of fact, we soon start to think if, if we're in into to something and just kind of look at it if we start practicing it uh, we can start tolerating it in our own mind and justifying it and I think that's what the Corinthians were doing and uh, so they went back to their fleshly desires they were being controlled by them look in Romans chapter 6 verse 14 and uh, this is the section about being slaves John MacArthur has a book coming out in January called Slave. That book is going to go big time. And if you've, if you've listened to his messages on that, it shows that we as Christians need to think of ourselves as slaves. Because that's what Paul called himself. I'm a slave of Jesus Christ. And he really meant that. Bond slave. Not just, just a servant, but deeper than that. But it's a good thing because we're set free to be a slave of him. I can't imagine anything better. Boy, does that sound backwards. People hate that. Especially in, in uh, the thought of today and a little over 100 years ago, there were slaves in this country and people relate to that. But we're talking about a biblical slave. Verse 14, For sin shall not have dominion, that's power, over you. For you are not under law, but under grace. We have grace. First Thessalonians chapter 4, which seems to go right along parallel with our text in Corinthians. 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verse 3. But this is the will of God. What's the will of God? Well, I think the will of God is that you be saved. The will of God is that you be sanctified. You say, oh yeah? Yeah, it's found here in verse 3. For this is the will of God. I've been wanting to know what the will of God is for my life. Guess what? Your sanctification. He wants you to be saved. He wants you to be sanctified. He wants you to be saying thanks. You'll see that in other passages. This is the will of God, saying thanks. Another will of God that you'll find in Scripture, uh, this sounds like an odd statement, is that you are to suffer. Have you heard the S words here? I stole those from MacArthur. Because they're in Scripture. The, the S words. Saved, sanctified, saying thanks, Suffering, there are other ones, but I can't remember. Okay, but here is one of them right here: your sanctification, that you should abstain from sexual immorality. Immorality, sexual immorality, there is porneia, and we get our word what? Pornography. That each of you should know how to possess his own vessel in sanctification and honor. You know what Paul did with this? First Corinthians nine, knowing that he has the power of the Holy Spirit knowing that he can look at the cross. He says in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 27, But I discipline my body and bring it 
into subjection. Oh, there's another will of God. Submission. <laughs> okay. Bring it into subjection, lest when I have preached to others, I myself should become disqualified. <coughs> no longer able to preach the Word. He's not saying losing salvation, but disqualified. His, his uh, ministry, his witness is no good anymore. If he were to be caught in certain consequential sins, he says, I dismal my I beat it down into subjection. I won't let my body rule. So that's the idea about being controlled by sin. Okay, we have to move on. Go back to Corinthians, and uh, right after Romans here, right? We're going to look at verse 13 and 14 in our chapter 6. Boy, it took a half an hour to do one verse. Okay, sorry. And I wanted verse 19 and 20 to be the dominating verse today. Okay, foods for the stomach and stomach for foods, but God will destroy both it and them. Now the body is not for sexual immorality, but for the Lord and the Lord for the body. And God both raised up the Lord and will also raise us up by His power. Okay, the body is not for fornication. He uses a food and stomach analogy. God made the stomach. That's a good thing. God made food. Okay, the food is for the stomach. Paul draws up a picture here that is so easy for anybody to pick out. Did God give us a stomach for food to go in it? You betcha. And it's a good thing. He even made it taste good. Now how about, what if he would have made stomach and food and it would taste bad and you'd have to eat it even though you didn't like it? See how good God is? He makes things around us pleasant. And you you go outside today, you look out there, I can't think of a prettier day. Blue sky, no clouds, sunshine, 70 degrees. And I, I'm sure there's probably somebody complaining today. <laughs> but I want to tell you, it, it, you know, he makes things really pleasant here. There are things that we have to go through that aren't pleasant. But really, he has more things really that are very dominating for us that are really good. He's a good God, isn't he? He sends hard things sometimes. But the food in the stomach thing, great expression. So what did the Corinthians do? Well, they used what they did there in Corinth. Probably they had a saying. Food is for the stomach. Stomach for the food. The body is for sex. (coughs) Sex is for the body. That was their saying there in Corinth back at that time. Well, listen, hey, just like the stomach needs the food, the body needs sex. So we just fill the appetite. That's what they said, and that's why Paul says this, possibly. By the way, they were also used in verse 12 when it said, all things are lawful for me, but all things are not helpful. That might have been Paul saying that by the Holy Spirit. Well, no doubt about that. Or he might have taken an expression that they were familiar with too. All things are lawful, right? Do you see what they'd be saying? Then they come back with the food and the stomach thing and they say, okay, and it makes sense to them, Right? So this is the the argument that they would have. And so Paul says, hey, the stomach and the food, they're just temporal things. One of these days, when we get glorified bodies, we won't have to eat food. Although there are fruits, there are 12 kinds of fruits on that tree. Uh, But you're not going to have to worry about that. They're they're temporal. Um, The body, though, is forever. We're going to have new bodies. This body's going to die, but we're going to have new bodies that are glorified, that are eternal, and we'll never sin again, never have a temptation. Let's go now. <laughs> Every time I think about that. But you're not to live for food. You know, uh, that's, that's a big thing, and we have it at least three times a day. Just like you're not to live for food, you're not to live for sex, they're both temporal. Um, God will do away with both of those. The the need for those. They're not meant for eternity. The body is for the Lord. Don't you like that in verse 13? The body is not for sexual immorality, porneia, but for the Lord. The body is for the Lord. For one reason, and this is why I like to go back to verse 19 and 20, uh, but verse 20 says, For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God in your... What? Your body. Your body is a good thing. And your body is eternal. It's going to be changed, right? Whenever I say it's eternal, it's not this particular body, but we'll have a body like it, and we'll be ourselves, but yet we'll be different, as 1 Corinthians 15 talks about. Uh, when you use... 
a body that uh, communicates the very glory, the supremacy of God, it's satisfying. When you're able to use it as an instrument of righteousness, do you know you get satisfied? That is the perfect use for it. Uh, and, you know, as he says here, uh, the body is for the Lord, and, and you've got to like the other part of this, and the Lord for the body. He gave us this body. It's a good thing what He's done. Despite the fact as you look at it as you're aging <laughs> and you see all the things that are uh, going downhill and the older you get, the quicker it goes. And, uh, but just remember, He cares about the body and um, He puts a premium on how it's to be used. Uh, he is not against it. He is for the body. It's a good thing. So he's trying to change their way of thinking here. He's renewing their mind in these kind of thoughts. I don't think it was foreign to them, but well, we have to be reminded a lot, and, and this is what's happening there. Uh, so he tells them about uh, the temporal aspect here. Uh, but there's an eternity as far as the bodies are concerned. Our bodies are designed not only to serve in this world, but to serve for eternity in an awesome way. We'll be able to do things there that we can't hear serving God and we'll never, never sin. Knowing the future of our bodies and that they're going to be resurrected should be something that should motivate us. See, Christianity is not a list of rules. Do this, don't do that. Don't get into sexual immorality and such. Thing is, it's about loving God, loving your neighbor. If you love God, you won't do anything that would be dishonoring to Him. If you love your neighbor, you would not try to take them down, right? And whether it be sex or other issues, whatever it is, uh, He says, hey, listen, think about it. This body is going to be resurrected and it's going to serve God all the way in through eternity for His glory, for His uh, righteousness' sake. The body is to glorify God. The body is for the Lord. The Lord is for the body. Look in Philippians 3, 20 and 21. I love this text. Three, twenty, and 21. For our citizenship is in heaven. Yeah, you have citizenship here on the earth, but you have a dual citizenship, and really you're from heaven, okay? From which we also eagerly wait for the Savior. Are you guys eagerly waiting? I mean, just stretching out and just saying, come Lord Jesus, right? The Lord Jesus Christ, and look at this, who will transform our lowly body, this body right here. It's in all its humanity and humility, and he says this lowly body, that it may be conformed, you like this next phrase? To His glorious body. Christ raised from the dead, came up, had a body, that could walk through walls, could eat, eat the fish, or muddy. Didn't matter. All the things that this body can do. Be here and then be there. hundred miles away in an instant. According to the working by which He is able even to subdue all things to Himself. That is the great hope that we have. That should keep us going, right? Don't you like the positives that He gives? When He, when he gives negatives... God always gives us the positive side. Here's how to fill it in. He just doesn't say, do this, do that, don't do this. He says, okay, now by the grace of God, look what's coming. And because of Christ and Him coming back, here is why you want to do these things. Those are great motivations, aren't they? So it's really upbeat, even though it seems negative. People say, Christianity takes all the fun out of it. I'll tell you what, I'll decide to follow Christ whenever I get about 80 years old and all the fun has gone out. Hey, they don't know. They could be taken out. Like that, right? We don't wait. We go now because this is a pleasurable life. And when you really see truth, He doesn't take anything away from us except stuff that's bad for us. Starts plugging in all the good stuff. We start thinking differently. Verse 15 now. Back to uh, chapter 6. That's three verses. Okay, sorry. Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? Don't you know that? Don't you know you're a member of Christ? Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a harlot? Oh, Paul, man. Getting awful graphic here, isn't he? Certainly not. That's kind of like the Meginitol. No way! 
Or do you not know that he who is joined to a harlot is one body with her? And he goes back to Genesis. He uses a quote out of the Old Testament. Paul does this quite frequently, doesn't he? He says, it shall become one flesh. The two shall become one flesh. But he is joined to the Lord is one spirit with him. This all makes sense, doesn't it? People will say, but it's my body. I can do anything I want with it. Has anybody here ever heard that? I bet you haven't, have you? Sure, yeah. In our culture, not picking on women, but I'm going to pick on women just for a moment. The whole abortion thing. What do the women's lib and all of the ones who are of that view, what do they say? You can't tell me what to do with my body. Don't you invade my space. Because this is my body, I can do whatever I want with it. If I am pregnant, I can choose to go have that baby taken out. Oh, baby? They don't say that though, do they? They will not recognize that. But isn't that interesting? It's my body. I can do with whatever I want. I can have illicit sexual relations. Would they say it that way? No. That's really what they're saying. And so they claim it's their own body. They can do whatever they want. Abortion is an option. You can keep keep that... Uh, fetus or whatever they want to call it or you can get rid of it the baby is a human and the fact is there is a body in the body and that body has a right to life just like they have the right to do as they so think but they don't so what do they do they say that's not really a body in there that's not really a baby so they start covering it over and start calling it something else that's really not life or anything we don't own our own bodies. I was a Christian for a long time and I, I never really thought of it that way. If I'd seen the Scripture, I said, okay, yeah, that's fine. That's good. When you really think about it, I don't own my body, at least that. Lord, you're saying that uh, I don't own my house. I really don't own my business. I really don't own my my car. My kids, you don't own anything. I own nothing. I'm a slave. (laughs) How low can I go? Go as low as you can because when you start realizing, you say, oh, Scripture says though that I have an inheritance in heaven reserved for me. I have everything because I am a brother to Christ. He is an inheritor. And you look in Ephesians 1 and you see the blessings that He has given us and what He has adopted us for into this family. And you go, wow, I don't want to own any of this stuff anyway. It's nothing. It's just all going to burn up. It's all going to go. It's just going to waste away right away. I don't care. You know, we, we are stewards though. And so what He's given us, great. Thank you, Lord. Uh, thank you for this house. Uh, thank you for the, you know, the nice place that I, I can actually live in. And uh, the car, this vehicle that I have, you know, going back and forth. Thank you for, for this. this. You know, this building we don't own. And we know that. We rent it. <laughs> but um, even if we did, it still wouldn't be ours. You know? it's, it's nothing. Nothing is ours. When we become Christians, we become members of Jesus Christ. We are part of His body. Look at Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. Oh, I thought I was going to give a short message today. Okay. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And He put all things under His feet, gave Him to be head over all things to the church. The church is the body. He's the head. We are the body, which He says, which is His body, the fullness of Him who fills all in all. Christ is the head, and so to get that completed, He has a church. So he's called out ones. What's ecclesia? Ecclesia is church. What does ecclesia mean? Called out ones. He has called out certain ones. Ephesians 1 says, before the foundation of the world, to come into a body to be now the completeness of the head, Jesus Christ. Overwhelming. But he's head overall. We are subject to him. We are not gods or little gods, but we are part of his body and that's the fullness of him is that incredible we have become members of this body and whenever he says that he says 
Why would you want to take your body and go out and do those things which look like what the world is doing when you're in the body of Christ? Okay, Paul. I get the message, Paul. Paul just keeps hammering things in. He makes sure that the details are laid out and now we know that, oh, here's the right thing. Uh, Unbelievable. Romans 12, verse 5 says uh, along the same lines. And we're to be conformed to Christ. We're His body, the incarnation of His person in the church. So we can't say that we love the Lord and then go out and do all the things that the body that we have that we want to do that are sinful things. You just can't do that. Either He's Lord or He's not, right? He's not just Savior, but He is Lord. Lord and Savior. Um, One Spirit with Christ, Corinthians says here now, back in the chapter 6. But uh, He who has joined the Lord is one Spirit. This is the most intimate relationship that is possible. Sexual relations, physically, it's the closest, most intimate relationship that can be. I'm sorry to get too detailed here. And you know, me, I wouldn't probably go with this text if I was just choosing places to go and hitting and missing all over the Bible. I probably wouldn't go here. But when you're going verse by verse, you're now accountable to the Lord. I'm accountable to give this out to you guys. I'm accountable for you guys. And so here it is. And so I get a little more graphic than I'd really like to and say, well, we got young kids in here too. Uh, well, it's something that they need to know because um, they need to know what truth is because it's going to come from the street and from somebody else that doesn't have God's truth. And uh, we, we all need to, to be reminded. But if you have sexual relations with someone outside of marriage, it profanes Jesus Christ. We are one spirit with Him. Um, that is incredible. Um, it is no longer I who lived, but Christ who lives in me. If one is even tempted, the first thing that they ought to start thinking about is that they are in Christ. Christ is in us. Holy Spirit lives there. And he says, joined to a harlot. Verse 16, don't you know that he was joined to a harlot as one with her? If you're joining yourself with a harlot, you're associating Jesus Christ with a harlot. You're taking Jesus Christ right into that relationship. There's no other sin like sexual sin, as Paul is really addressing here. And then he says in verse 18, he gives you an action. After he set up all these arguments, he says, here's what you do. He said, what do I do? But I just don't know what to do. You know, this is so hard. I, you know, I, I'm in a real fix here. You know, this, I've always known this and I don't, I don't know what to do. You know what Paul says? Stop it. <laughs> Stop it. Flee immorality. What do you do? Run. Uh, what did Joseph do whenever he was caught in uh, a situation uh, of temptation or, the, you know, there was uh, the wife of Potiphar and she was throwing herself at him. And he ran. He got out of there got so quick that uh, there was his coat left, right? Joseph uh, flee. Flee, fled. Flee sexual immorality. Flee pornea. Flee a pornography. Every sin. Now he's talking about every sin that a man does is outside the body. But here's where he delineates and says, look at sexual sin. It's different than any other sins. But he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. What's going on here? Sexual sin rises from within the body and it's bent on personal gratification. Okay, no problem with that. It drives like no other impulse. That's why you have all of these child molesters and they're all over the city. You look up and you, and you can go on the internet and find out where these people are. They're all around you. There could be somebody in your neighborhood. These uh, sexual perverts. It's incredible how many have been caught. And then they let them go. They let them live amongst people. And they're sitting there waiting for the next kid because the, the sexual drive cannot stop. It gets worse and worse. They're not going to get over it. 
It has a way of internally destroying a person like no other sin. Because it's the deepest intimacy that two people can have. And its misuse corrupts on the deepest human level. Something so great that God gave has become so distorted. The lie of the world, the lie of the flesh, the lie of the devil. And man, it's running rampant in our times. Always has. I have to think of Romans chapter 1, verse 24, where there it deals with the depravity of man. Therefore God also gave them up to uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. And there it goes into even homosexuality and lesbianism. Wow. Let me tell you what's happening here. There are other sins that are internal. You can say, but they're internal by external means. Like one who drinks and he gets drunk. It's external. It's put in him. It was something outside the body as the Scripture says here. Or drugs are the same way. It doesn't come from the own body. You take it from the outside and bring it in. But sexual sin is a sin that's inflicted on the own body because it's your own body. It's not coming from the outside. So that's why he says, every sin that a man does is outside the body, but he who commits sexual immorality sins against his own body. It's coming from right here. That's where we violate ourselves. It's psychological. It's spiritual. It's theological. It's against God. It's against the other party that's involved. And it's against the fornicator's body. Wow. This is our whole society. Our society revolves around this kind of thinking. So remember, when you take the gospel out there, realize these people are lost in something they don't even know. But Paul is is giving something here that is incredibly true. But it's amazing. People know that that's wrong. And you'll know that that, uh, if a politician gets caught, it's okay for him to do it, but when he gets caught, then they have to bring it out and he's wrong about it. Or our president, you know, he got caught. Actually got impeached, if my memory serves me right, and nobody really said much about it after that, did they? But they took him to court. And you take people to court because they've been involved. Brett Favre is one of the latest now. You know, I don't know what the deal is with that. I, I don't, it hasn't gone to court. All I can say is that there's a charge against him for bringing up images and sending them out on the email. All I'm saying is that uh, it's amazing what an impact it has on people in different ways of doing it. Uh, the, the inflictions of it's incredible. Uh, now we get into the best verses, and I'm at it right near the end. We have to get out of here by 12, uh, or we all change into pumpkins. Well, no, not if the Holy Spirit's involved, right? we got the Holy Spirit coming up in a verse. <laughs> okay. Okay, now we, we need to get to this. Okay, verse 19. This, this is where it really, really gets good. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, Paul, I know already. Have you noticed how he just keeps coming with more and more truth? If somebody's not convinced yet, uh, they're not a Christian. Don't you know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God, and you are not your own? Don't you know that? He says, you ought to know that. God lives in us. And that should give us a commitment to purity. God lives in us. That's all you really have to say. God is living in me. Wow. There were so many shrines in Corinth. You remember? In Athens, they had all those different uh, uh, idols. And Paul said, yeah, you even have one to the unknown God. There you are at Corinth. uh, Not too many miles away. They have the same kind of thinking going on. You have all these false pagan gods. And when you have false pagan gods, you have temples. The buildings are important. And uh, they are holy places. And so in these temples, you would have women who were actually performing sexual rites and rituals. It was called immorality in their temples. What a neat thing they had going. Men would come in there, pay money for that. The money would go into the particular religion, the cult that they were in, and uh, they'd build these temples and have more money so they can build more things. 
And uh, the, so they had a, a lot of women. There were probably as many as a thousand prostitutes that did this for the sake of their gods in Corinth. Now think about that. I mean, it was everywhere. These pagan shrines that were tremendous buildings. The Corinthians didn't fail to miss this analogy here. Paul says, Don't you know your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit? Okay, you have those shrines up there. You have those temples. Your body is a temple. We don't have a temple we go to, do we? You know, there's no holiness in this building itself. I mean, the building of it, the materials. But it can be used for holy purposes. But we don't come here because this is a great place. We come here because it's a comfortable place and it works for us. Thank the Lord. This is the temple. The temple is here. There were tabernacles in the Old Testament. There was the temple. Uh, there were uh, temples. This temple Solomon then was built. Uh, later on, it was rebuilt. And then uh, at the time of Jesus, there was uh, that temple was built on, and it was a beautiful place to be, and all the gold and everything that was involved. And then that was torn down. And of course, Christ said that He is the temple. Uh, he said He was the tabernacle in John chapter one. The Word became flesh and dwelt. What does dwelt mean? Tabernacle or tented among us. So He's the temple. And then when He resurrected and ascended, He then had His body. And He says the body now, the temple is everywhere. It just marches around all over the place. You've got a temple here, a temple there. You've got temples all right here individually. And then we as are in the body, the body itself is a temple. That's what He's saying here in Corinthians 6. He's saying each one of you individuals is a temple. If you go to 1 Corinthians 3, which we don't have enough time for, we've already discussed that. That is dealing with uh, the body, which is the temple. The whole thing going up. It's being built. We are temples. Wow! I mean, that is just quite a truth that He's just unloaded on them. We should be holy. That's where holiness is now because the Holy Spirit lives in us. The holiness is in the temple. The presence of the Spirit of God is right there. Is that ever an argument? God's sanctuary is wherever the Christian goes. When you walk out of here today, you're a walking sanctuary. When you go home, the sanctuary is, is, is uh, you that's there. When you go to visit a friend or your family or you go to eat at a restaurant, you've got a, there's a sanctuary right there sitting there at the table along with other sanctuaries around the Christians. We're inhabited by the Holy Spirit. Uh, if we were to go to 2 Corinthians 6, 16, we can see that. And, and uh, other, other passages. Uh, I've got those texts up there, but uh, lack of time. We're bought at a price. You are not your own. There's our title, isn't it? You, are not, you don't own yourself because you were bought. Now, we have a picture in verse 19. What's the picture of? A temple. A great illustration, right? Okay, then Paul gives us another snapshot over here. And now what's the snapshot? Slaves. We're bought at a price. We're bought out of the slave market. He took us out of that slavery to sin, death, Satan. Brought us over into being a servant slave of Him. He's the Master and we say, praise the Lord. I don't have to serve that again. Sin has been broken. The power of sin is broken. Do we still sin? Yeah. But the power is broken. We don't have to have that as a continual going on. First Peter 1, 18 and 19. He bought us. He bought us with a price. He already paid for it. Jesus paid it all. All to Him I owe. It's been 50 years since I sang that. What's the rest of it? Okay. What do I have? First Peter 1, 18-19. Here we go. Knowing that you were not redeemed with corruptible things like silver or gold. I mean, that's the top of the line, isn't it? Uh, from your aimless conduct received by tradition from your fathers. What were we bought with? But with the precious blood of Christ. That's what we were bought with. As of a lamb without blemish and without spot. The blood of Christ. Jesus came not to be served, 
but to serve and give His life a ransom for the many. The price was paid. He bought us out of a terrible situation. You know what the great news is? We can't do anything to pay for it. Because you can't. The Son did it. He already did it. It's done. My condemnation has been paid for. Does that almost want to make you say, praise the Lord? My condemnation has been taken care of. My body has been bought. It belongs to Him. And He wills that it be in purity. He is the full and sufficient price. We can't do anything to please God for salvation. Because there's nothing good there. But Christ is the one that comes in and fills that up. He bought you at Calvary for His own purpose. That frees us, doesn't it? For His own purpose. We were slaves of sin, Paul says in Romans 6. We've been bought by a new master. We're slaves of Christ. He has every right to us. Because we're owned by Him. Does that give you a sense of freedom? It's the best news you could ever hear. The price He paid was not money, but it was His own humiliation on the cross, His suffering that He had there, the agony that He had as He bore the divine wrath against us. God had His wrath upon us. Picture like we're all heading right into the flames of hell. And Christ steps in. Because of our sins, He comes in and takes our place. And His own death is where the blood is spilled. This slavery is a slavery of love. Love God. Love neighbor. In this bondage that we have now, we have perfect freedom. When we do whatever the Master wants us to do, we are doing a profit. It's profitable, isn't it? The temple has to be clean. This has everything to do with everything your body has to do with. That means food. It means sleep. It means laughing and smiling or frowning, playing, working, worship. Everything goes into this next phrase. And you know that this next phrase is one of my favorite things to say. This is what we were created for. For you were bought at a price, therefore glorify God for the glory of the Lord. Isn't that what we like to focus on in your body? Your body in whatever you do. As you sang today, did you know you were glorifying God? If you meant it. As we prayed today, did you know you were glorifying God? As you looked up and said those words that were coming out of Scripture, did you know you were glorifying God in that sense? And as you listened to the Word, did you know you're glorifying God when you're letting that come into your mind and saying, I just want to submit to Him. I'm a slave. He's a master. That's all I want. I just want to follow Christ, you know? Man, that is glorifying God. There is a supreme purpose of the body. Glorifying God. 1 Corinthians 10.31 Just uh, three chapters over. Sounds like something familiar. Therefore, whether you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. And I've been asked before, oh, what does it mean you have to glorify God all the time? Well, here's what it is. Whatever you do to a hold of the glory of God. Is that very hard? We are here for one reason, really. As your bodies show God that He is satisfying, that He is more precious, more to be desired than anything that your body can crave for, people sometimes might look at you and either think you're really weird or say, I want to be like that. It's going to be one or the other. They're, not, they're going to either like what you do or, or not. 
You know what? I love that. That's a good place to close. You were bought at a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body and in your spirit, which are God's. He owns it all. It's for His glory. I don't have to go around trying to bring glory to myself or anybody else because that's what He is about. It's for His glory. Let's go to the Lord in prayer.